Hello and welcome to Culture Shock with Kate, Adam, and Owen, three metalheads who discuss releases and big questions facing listeners and musicians today. This is episode 17, featuring Malakesh's Enki. But first, Owen, what were you listening to this week? So after we did the Dark Space episode last week, I went back and listened to Years Past Matter by Kralis, which is my personal go-to for spacey-sounding black metal. But whereas Dark Space sounds like the cold depths of space, Years Past Matter sounds like it was recorded in the midst of the Big Crunch, when the universe is just collapsing in on itself and everything's getting superheated and matter is just ceasing to have any meaningful definition anymore. It's, it's a hell of a listen. Um, and then I was also listening to the album Not to Disappear by Daughter, which is an album that's been seemingly getting lukewarm reaction among music listeners and critics, which I can kind of understand with everyone calling it an indie pop album. And if you listen to it as an indie pop album, it's kind of slow, kind of brooding, not exactly an attention grabber. But for me, when I first put it on, I didn't hear indie pop. I heard post-rock. And as a post-rock album, I think it's pretty entertaining. You know, the sort of strung out vocals make more sense in that kind of context because it keeps them from being distracting from the instrumentation. But it's not one I see myself coming back to a lot because as much as the hazy atmosphere was enjoyable, there just wasn't a lot about most of the songs that really grabbed me. When this one song came in sounding more like an indie rock song and it actually had a pulse, that kind of drove the point home. Um, one I've been enjoying more is the Iternum album Moon God, which just stumbled upon randomly on Bandcamp this week. Funnily enough, before we did this episode, because Moon God sounds like what Enki probably would have sounded like if Melakesh were instead a death melodic death metal band instead of a melodic black metal band, and used more clean vocals and had less of a budget. Which, it's probably that last point that's going to be the most contentious in me coming back to this album to see whether I like it or not, but... It's an enjoyable Middle Eastern-themed melodic black metal album. I liked it. Kate? Uh, this week, I mostly listened to um, like folky, atmospheric black metal. So I listened to the Stores album. I know that's not how it's pronounced, but I don't remember. Stavost. I think. <laughs> I think. Oh. <laughs> All right. I know um, it's S-T-V-O-S-T's, but I don't know how you would... How necessarily how the O is pronounced, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If anyone knows how it's technically pronounced and has a link to a phonetic <laughs> uh, file, that would be very helpful. Either way, I listen to it. Um, the reasons that I like it is because there are elements in it that remind me of Druk. Um, so I listen to Druk too. But <laughs> uh, I've been sort of off and on with the female vocals there because I feel like they don't fit all the time but I kind of like what she's doing because it's different than a lot of other times where places will mix in female vocals because it seems like there's this tendency for when metal bands go for a female vocalist they want an operatic style female vocalist or you know a one that can do the metal vocals and this is more of a folk female vocalist, which is it's very different. She's a lot deeper and huskier, and it's like overall a nice sound. I just don't feel like it always works. But when it does work, it's pretty great. Um, then I listened to Droot, and I pretty much just grabbed a random album off the shelf without thinking about it too hard. So the one that I ended up grabbing was Estrangement. 
And that one was right before Microcosmos, which is one that everybody holds up as a one of the best Druidic albums, I guess. But mm-hmm. Estrangement was pretty good too. It often gets overlooked. Um, but there's not a whole lot of variety on it, which is one of the reasons it gets overlooked, I assume. But that didn't matter too much to me because I like being able to put on an album and then not notice the tracks changing and then 40 minutes to an hour later being like, that was a good experience. So I didn't mind the lack of variety. I know it was a sticking point for, it's been a sticking point for some people on that album, but I just generally liked it. Um, The last thing I listened to was uh, rather unusual, but it was after we watched some YouTube videos. Why did we end up doing the thing? Oh, I just was watching Judas Priest stuff for some reason. I have no idea, but Adam was like, look at this. And we we ended up watching a couple Judas Priest YouTube videos, and I realized that I never really sat through a full album. And that's probably something I should have rectified, so I did, and I listened to Painkiller, I think. Yeah, you listen to Whichever one you have, you only have one. I only have one Judas Priest album, and it's Painkiller, and it's, like, my favorite one from them. I I mean, I definitely, I'm always hit or miss on heavy metal, and this reinforced why I'm hit or miss on heavy metal, because there was so much to like about it, and everybody was such a good musician, and there were so many good things, but it just doesn't really do it for me. Um, and it's a lot of the, a lot of the reason is the vocals. And while, man, like the vocals are outstanding for heavy metal vocals, it's that for heavy metal vocals part that I have reservations about. I don't really like the really high, almost falsetto <clears throat> singing. To, I, I can't even reach the ranges. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, is, flat out, it, it is flat out falsetto singing. That, it, that is literally what he's doing. <laughs> it's super impressive but also not super enjoyable for me personally to listen to. I mean, I used to listen to King Diamond a bunch in high school, so it reminded me of that, and it was yeah. kind of nice. But it's at the same time, it's just not really my style. <laughs> what about you, Adam? Um, this week, I'm trying to remember what exactly I listened to. I know that when I was hanging out, I sat down and I listened to a couple new CDs I had gotten in and didn't really like delve into too deeply. Um, I listened to uh, the two albums that I got in from Entartung, which is a German band. And they do a pretty good job. They do pretty, um, I would say, standard German black metal. Um, but they, they do a really good job with some other riffs. Their riffs are really good, compelling a lot of times. So it's a good listen. I got In the first album, I got a lot of impressions that they were pretty influenced by Trimonium. And so if you like that and the style that Trimonium plays like me then you would like that a lot. Uh, the second album they put out, they uh, changed the vocals a bit to mu- being much, much better because to me, Trimonium's downfall is the vocals are always kind of... They're just okay. They don't really super fit. Um, they're not very exciting. They're not interesting that in a way. And I feel like Entartung's first album really kind of tried to emulate that as much as possible. And then on the second album, they deviate quite a bit. So I was kind of pleased to hear them deviate and change up the vocal performance to something that fit a lo- and was a lot stronger in a lot of ways to mesh with the music. And then the other thing I listened to was Hakuja's album Legacy, and they're a band out of Japan, 
And it's, uh, if anybody knows the black metal band called Cataplexy, this is a side project of their guitarist. And it's a really, really, really good listen. And I totally recommend checking that out, especially if you like some of the more um, atmospheric-styled black metal. And sadly, he's only done the one Hakuja thing. It's a demo, and it was eventually repressed on CD, but it sounds pretty good to me, so I really, really liked it. Um, and I think that's everything that I listened to, so... Moving on to our main segment, we are going to talk about Malakesh today. For those of you who don't remember, don't know about Malakesh, Malakesh is one of the very early black metal bands out of Israel. <clears throat> and their history is a little interesting. And um, I remember I picked up As Jerusalem Burns when it came out. And it was a very, 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 very good album. And I really liked it a lot. And they were one of the early bands in incorporating some of the Middle Eastern sound into black metal. So what you have with As Jerusalem Burns is you kind of have a blend of the standard Scandinavian sound with some moments of Middle Eastern flair thrown in. And the drummer that performs on that album is actually very uh, much very Middle Eastern style drumming. So it really made the album feel very different compared to a lot of the black metal that had been out and about in the, ni- in the mid-90s or so. When you say moments, does that mean they weren't necessarily incorporated into the album's overall sound? Not really. They were um, very much like, here is the like Emperor slash Dark Throne styled section followed by some Middle Eastern parts. And it wasn't until much later that they started to integrate things together a lot more with their style. But I mean, this was back before anyone had really ever thought to do that. Because right. um, one of the other major bands in the area that of Israel was uh, Orphaned Land. And they're one of the big ones now that play very Middle Eastern style music. But back then, they were playing just doom metal. Not blended with anything, it was just doom metal. And then then they put out Sahara, and then Sahara started being very much more Middle Eastern driven. And then you have El Nora Alila, and that's just totally like a Middle Eastern flared, mellow, deathish album that's very cool. Uh, and, but... Malakesh was always on the black metal side, and I forgot to look up when Aralu started, but I feel like Aralu was actually pretty influenced by Malakesh as well, and they both play a very similar style, but Aralu is much more raw, uh, visceral style of the black metal, and Malakesh tend to play much cleaner, in my opinion. So, for those out there who are interested in the, the Israeli bands that are playing, and then if you want to go full on, you can go into... Bands like Al Namrud, who's out in Saudi Arabia, and they're really, really good too, but very different. Um, anyway, Melakesh, they were the ones that were like the first one that spawned a lot of these other projects, that I, I feel like, that really solidified the style. But their history is strange because they did As Jerusalem Burns, and then they were silent for a really, really long time. And I think two of the guys in the band, the and not the drummer, but the other two guys in the band, they ended up having to move to the Netherlands. And I forget exactly the main reasoning behind all of that. I mean, I read the interviews back in like 1999, so I don't remember, recall what exactly went on. But from there, they came back, I think, in 2001 with their follow-up album, their second album, which I think was Jin. But this time, they strangely had Proscriptor behind the kit. Now, if you know American black metal, you know Absu. And via Absu, you know Proscriptor. Proscriptor is one of the premier drummers of the American scene in the black metal world. So he was very, very, very interesting choice to have in there 
because he's always been big on the Celtic style, and that's one of Absu's big things is playing this Celtic style black metal and stuff like that. So I thought it was an interesting choice to have Proscriptor behind the kit, and to be honest, I didn't really like Jin that much. Proscriptor's a ridiculously technical drummer, but he... I feel like that technicality weighed them down, because the way Malakesh performs on their guitars is a lot more... I don't know, I, I feel like it's a lot catchier in a lot of ways, and it doesn't allow a lot of room for that, and it, it, it made a lot of missteps, I feel like, for, you know, the, compared to the first album, which really gave you that real Middle Eastern flair backed up by a good drumming section, and um, so he played with them for a while, and I kind of, I, I don't know, I think I bought the CDs out of just collector habit at that point, and then... They got another drummer, then he left, and then the other drummer they got involved was Funeral Wind's old drummer, and he was much better suited, and he was actually the one that played on the album bef- up till the album before this called Epigenesis, which we listened to not long ago. But now, back on the new one, Enki, we have the original drummer from As Jerusalem Burns, and you can really hear what the drumming should sound like, so the... Melikesh is back in full form, I feel like, on Enki. So that brings us to their current album. Something else that I feel is very apparent with this album in comparison to the other ones is when I went back to and listened to some of the old albums for this episode, the production just didn't sound as lush and full-bodied as it did on Enki, which I think held those old albums back because for the kind of style Melikesh is playing where the styles trying to be so bombastic and the vocals being as snarly as they are need something really full-bodied to back them up. I feel like the less full-bodied production on the old albums just couldn't give it the basis it needed. Whereas on Enki, the production is so colorful and so full-bodied that it works for me. But Yeah, I mean, I thought Epigenesis was fine. Um, but yeah. prior, to, prior to that, I mean, yeah, the production was kind of like... You could still you could hear every single album they were trying to figure it out, mm. and, and the production on As Jerusalem Burns was perfect for it because it was that raw style of black metal that was like the early '90s, you know, tribute style. So having the harsher style of black metal production was perfect for As Jerusalem Burns, and then after that, as the new millennium hit in and the recording programs got better and better and better, you can tell that they start trying to fiddle around in the studio. And I feel like that's a that's kind of a common thing. I think a lot of bands took a long time to really like figure out how to get that balance between the new digital recording methods that we run into today and capturing that more organic sound to make a really full atmosphere. So I think that bands have been working through that and it's only fairly recent that they've actually been able to capture that in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think Enki was definitely where Melikesh was able to do it. But yeah, they've definitely perfected it by now. Epigenesis, they were kind of on their way. Right. But production-wise, Enki's like a lot better. But going back to the topic of the drumming, that was something that definitely stood out to me on this album as a big highlight. The just how dynamic the drumming was. Yeah. Like it, it made me realize how almost static the drumming can be on so many other albums, where the drummer picks one good beat that backs up the music well, and will play that for most of the song with some fills and flourishes here and there. But this album, it's just flourish after flourish, and the drums are constantly changing up but not in a way where they draw attention to themselves and distract from the rest of the music. Right, and I think that's my problem when Proscriptor was playing on Jin, for example, because I feel like when he was switching things up, it got distracting. Right. So, and where, that's where I feel like his his style didn't really mesh with their 
kind of creation. Right. Whereas on Enki, you know, the drums never were distracting for me, but when I would sit down and pay attention to them while listening, I was like, oh my gosh, this playing is incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel the exact same way, because like, as soon as you like put that first song on off of Enki and that just launches into that intensity, you're just like, yeah, this is awesome. What, where was this in their past albums? <laughs> I feel like... It's funny you bring up that first part, though, in that kind of context, because for me personally, the first part didn't necessarily get the album off to a great start for me. Really? Because it's so almost death metal-y in its sound, whereas the rest of the album seems to just be true blue melodic black metal. So for me, that feels like a part that I just have to sit through and wait for the album to get going, which I'm completely willing to do, because the part that comes in right after that around the two-minute mark on that first song is my favorite part of the album. I can't help but bang my head to that <laughs> part, regardless of where I'm listening to the album yeah, yeah. when that comes on. No, I love the first track. I thought that was pretty much one of the highlights. Absolutely. Yeah, that definitely like, grabbed my attention. And I was like, oh, wow. Because like that was the other part, too, that was surprised me was that, I, I mean, I had listened to all the Melikesh stuff beforehand, and everyone's like, oh, wow, they're so good, and everyone's in... But they've never, like, ever since Edges and Burns, they've never, like, grabbed me, like, from track one. Mm. And I feel like on Enki, they finally just grabbed me, and they were just like, you're in our world now. And you're just like, yes. Yeah. And it was good. It was very good. So I liked that. So I was, like, I was pretty happy to see that they were managing to get back on to good things. Yeah. And for me, the way the first track just grabs you from the start, a big part of that was the vocals, which are unlike any vocals I think I've ever heard in black metal, how snarly they are. You know, I've heard growls, I've heard screams, I've heard shrieks on black metal albums, but it it didn't struck me until I listened to this album just how much of a novelty it is to hear a vocal style in black metal that's nothing like I've heard before. And this snarly vocal style just completely did that and had me hooked from the beginning because the instrumentation was good enough to back it up. Yeah, and he's definitely gotten a little bit more elaborate over the years too with the way he layers some parts, and I, I really liked that a lot. Because um, I feel like the, I don't know, in the prior stuff, the vocals weren't as worked out as perfectly. But yeah. on this album, I feel like things were really, really well thought out. And they really put a lot of thought into everything. And there's even like some lyrics that I think are great that kind of shine through. Like there's this one part, um, I forget the name of the song, oh, it's A Lost Tribe. There's this one part in Lost Tribe where he says, um, uh, what is it? it's like, leave the cross you bear. It's, oh, yeah. It weighs you down. I'm like, oh, that line is so <laughs> awesome. It has so much meaning just right in there. So, and I, and I love that it sticks out, too. The mm -hmm. way that he put it's like pronounced really well so you can hear it. Yeah. So, I, like, it's because they'll have how he articulates it so you can understand what he says. So, I like that a lot. Yeah, there definitely are vocal moments where the fact that the lyrics stand out just adds to how intense the song is. Like, there's one particular line in the first song something about, like, look like human vermin. Yeah. Um, and then, actually, funnily enough, the last song on the album, the intro of the last song, kind of reminds me of the intro of the last song on Behemoth's last album. Because you have this great oh. swell that comes in the last song, and then the way the first line is delivered is almost similar to the way the first line is delivered on O Father, O Satan, O Son. Hmm. Um, you know, it's Archifalos, Shine Through Me, versus Clarifier, March Across the Land. It's like addressing a deity and then giving them a command. It's delivered in almost a singy style. I don't know. I just thought that was an amusing parallel. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't like delved into the Satanist that, that much. I've listened to it a couple of times, but not in any level of detail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Man, that last song especially, I'm amazed at how well Melikesh could take a 12-minute song and make it feel like it wasn't 12 minutes at all. Yeah. Wish I could say the same thing for Doorways to Arcala, though, which is the interlude track that's the second to last track on the album. Yeah, the eight-minute one? The eight-minute one. Yeah, yeah. the eight-minute instrumental was not a good idea. Only bad thing I could really say about the album is that I usually... I know I said in the past episode that I think it's cheating to skip songs when you're listening to an album all the way through, but... I become a hypocrite when that song comes on. (laughs) Um, It's just not enough ideas, I think, to justify an eight-minute song. It just doesn't change enough over the course of eight minutes. It doesn't. Well, like, and I I listen to a lot of stuff that doesn't change over the course of eight minutes, but, uh, (laughs) like... I mean, in the context of an album where everything is so dynamic and things are changing so constantly. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's not... The thing is, if you're going to do something that doesn't change over the course of eight minutes or that changes very subtly over the course of eight minutes, what you're doing has to either hold your... Hold someone's interest really tightly or function to put you in a really different space and i felt like that um they tried to put you in a different space like that sort of oh you're in a middle eastern market or you know that kind of idea but there just wasn't enough flavor in it to really make it feel like it was any given place it seemed more like someone just said oh hey i know this is a middle eastern instrument so i'm going to play it for a while i guess what should i play i don't know just play anything so we can fill our album out i eh. Yeah, I feel like the they were trying to put you into like that kind of like ritualistic space or whatever that's supposed to be entrancing, but it doesn't work on an album like this where it's so intense. Right. You know, the album's not droning enough. The album's extremely dynamic. It's changing. It's ever changing. It's very immediate. Yeah, and to all of a sudden be no longer satisfied by the immediacy is kind of frustrating. It might have worked if they put something like that as the first track um, to, like, put you into almost a meditative headspace and then suddenly hit you with what was track one. Yeah, but that That would would be the only way it would work. But you can't start with the eight minutes if they made it, like, two minutes or something like that. It would have worked. You would have to cut it. But if they made it two minutes, that would even have worked in the middle of the album. True. The very least, it would just be like, oh, okay, take a breath before you go on to a 12-minute with how suddenly the seventh song ended, I thought the idea of putting an interlude there wasn't necessarily a bad one, if it had been two minutes, like you mentioned. Right, yeah, and I feel like this interlude would have worked if it had been ten, two minutes long. Right. You know, there are enough subtle changes that I feel like it could have kept your attention over the course of two minutes, but... Not I was, enough for eight. <laughs> I was skipping through it as I was listening to it, and pretty much from the three or four minute mark on, there, I just couldn't tell the difference at all as I was skipping minute to minute. Yeah, no, I don't think there is any difference, because I listened to the thing today. Yeah, no, we listened to the more or less the whole thing. Did we skip it in the middle? I no, don't no, remember. No, no, we the whole thing. We did? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was just... No. <laughs> I don't know, I wanted to skip it really bad. There was a point where I was like, can we move on? <laughs> <laughs> and by that point, it was a minute left, so... <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right, I guess we'll wait. Um, but the one thing I will say is that about... With that in place there, I feel like... Melikesh, I mean, this happened on Epigenesis for us, too, in some ways, that I feel like the second half of the album wasn't as strong as the first. Mm-hmm. And Epigenesis was kind of weak in that realm, too. There were a couple of tracks that they... They, they tried to do the 12-minute track on Epigenesis, too, and it... I mean, this one's better, but it didn't work at all on Epigenesis for me. 
So I, I feel like Melikesh, if they can somehow manage to keep the strong compositions from the first half alive during the second half of our journey, it would do them a lot more justice, I think. I mean, I'll admit, I liked a lot of the songs in the second half, but while I was listening to this album to take notes on it, I found less to take notes on towards the second half than I did in the first half. Yeah. Even though, personally, for me, the lull on the album happens in songs three and four. Hmm. I don't know. I think the the way that they sound darker and almost more melancholic and not necessarily as flashy as the other ones, I think it helps keep the variety going. And if there is going to be a lull in the album, the best place to have it is the middle. Yeah, but no, I agree. Keeps me from loving the album even more. But... I don't, I don't dislike them. Like, if it weren't for Doorways to Akala, I wouldn't have a very strong set in stone least favorite song on this album. <laughs> I don't know if that's true for you two, though. Well, I think for me it's more a case of um, when it comes to the Melakesh albums, I don't usually have a least favorite track except for the interludes, but barring those, um, I just find that I'm, there's tracks that I'm not drawn to very much. So what ends up happening is I grab a handful of tracks from each album and I like those and I don't really like the album as a whole because of a, a sort of a combination of what Adam was saying where it sort of tends to lull out in the end but also because you know they do things like mix in an 8 minute <laughs> track <laughs> of ambience that isn't really very ambient compared to even some of the ambient I listen to um, so I just have a hard time loving any Melikesh album, but the tracks I like, I do like quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way, but that's one of the reasons why I feel like I don't really sit down and l- listen to Melikesh that often. They're not a go-to band for me, because halfway through I'm going to stop paying attention to what's happening. But what's nice about that, though, is I do have on my MP3 player a couple songs from um i keep wanting to say epigenetic (laughs) (laughs) epigenesis epigenesis um i do have a couple songs on there that have been on there pretty much since i heard the album from the first time and they've never really fallen out of rotation and sometimes i skip them yeah but like they're good enough to stay on there and i'm sure that maybe at some point there's there's songs on enki that were good enough to fall into that rotation so it just ends up falling into like my work mix. Um, I will admit this is definitely thing. a very good album to get work done to. It's definitely a go-to for me because for me this falls in the category of being consistent without sounding samey. So it's very mm-hmm. good for getting work done because it's not going to be pulling my attention away that much from what I'm working on. But at the same time, if I'm, say, commuting and I need something to listen to that will keep my attention the whole time, the album still works for me in that way. I don't know, maybe it's because it was my first Melikesh album. Maybe. It's hard to say. Um, I think the problem, the other problem I have with Melikesh is that I end up comparing it to Orphan Land, and I like Orphan Land more, because I feel like they do the Middle Eastern part better. Um, I mean, they're both from Israel, so it's not like, it's not like one, one is, has better influences than the other. They're drawing from the same pool of resources. Um, I think Orphan Land is overall a little more progressive, but when they really hit their full, like I think that's one of the one of the real problems I had too with this with this interlude is um, Orphan Land has a lot of interludes too, but their interludes are really good. Anytime they do a folk anything, it's top notch, 
and I don't feel like Melikesh's pure folk stuff meets that standard. So I think maybe I'm a little harsher on them than I should be. No, I I kind of agree. I, I mean, I think like the interlude. I mean, having an eight minute interlude like that's a little ridiculous. Well, I mean that know. too, but the, they do use they do have some folk sections in other parts where they yeah, but they more folky. yeah, but they they use them like very effectively because there's one song on here where they have like kind of a folkyish um, flair to it, but it's only for like less than a minute, and then it launches into the metal songs, mm-hmm. and that's that's makes more sense to me. So that's like pretty good. And that you're right. Uh, Orphanland's a much more progressive styled band than Malakesh is ever trying to be. Mm-hmm. So, but I feel like they also incorporate the Middle Eastern elements better because in their progressive um, arrangements, they use the true Middle Eastern scales for all of all of their arrangements. So it just there's no way that you can turn on any given part of an Orphanland track and not understand the origin of the band yeah where Malakesh kind of flits around with both yeah i feel like there's definitely definitely times where if you didn't hear the whole track and you only heard like a minute you would be like well that's pretty good black metal and you wouldn't immediately get that middle eastern influence which i think there should be more of in metal because it's really good (laughs) (laughs) i think that also leads into kind of a point where there's a lot of western bands that try to have a Middle Eastern style while they haven't, say, grown up in the context of hearing that music all the time and really internalizing those those sorts of scales and the actual, how actual people who play the actual folk instruments play them, who simply say, oh yeah, this is a Middle Eastern instrument, let's throw it in for a Middle Eastern flair. Yeah, you'll hear a band, like, one of the big ones in the area is Nile, that gets talked about a lot. Um, they do a lot better now, but I remember when they first started out, um, I mean, and this is, this is me kind of like making a technical complaint, but I mean, Amongst the Catacombs of Nefron Ka is one of my favorite Nile albums of all time. And to me, they've never really outdone that. But even on that album where they talk about stuff, a lot of that stuff's taken from that fake book, the Necronomicon that you can buy at Barnes and Noble. And, you know, so, I mean, that's kind of silly in its own, its own right, but it is what it is. Uh, they put together some really good music, but ever after that, they went full on into the Egyptian theme, and then they've been doing a lot more of the actual true Middle Eastern scale work as much as they can. But a lot of the bands, they in the Western world, we have a scale that sounds Middle Eastern, but kind of really isn't, and it's typically used in Western music to just be a Middle Easternish flair into the music we play. So you'll hear a lot of bands try to incorporate that. But it's a it's a very different feel when you have a band that's actually from that region playing that music. But I mean that's true of like when you hear like bands from India, like um, Rudra, mm-hmm. and they start playing their music. So it's yeah. very very different when they incorporate their style of music into the Western style of metal that they're playing as well. Yeah, when Rudra plays the parts that are actually inspired by Indian folk, it sounds nothing like <laughs> anything we different. try to do. Nothing. I mean, they've got their elements where they're like, yep, here's a pretty solid European-style segment, but <laughs> then it just completely changes. Yeah. And again, I, I, they're a band, too, where the drumming is really kind of off the charts, crazy for what they do. So it's really, really interesting stuff. So who do we recommend this to? Um, I would say that anyone that's interested in hearing 
what it would sound like if you blended black metal with Middle Eastern themes. Um, if you think Sumerian mythology is interesting, then Melikesh talks a lot about that. So there's something that they also add to it. Um, I don't know. That's about it for me. Because, I mean, like, a lot of the stuff they do is kind of, like, on the thrashier black metal side as well. So if you're into that, that might pull some interest for you. So I don't know if I would necessarily agree with the combining Middle Eastern elements point. Because when I first found this album and my first exposure to it was the cover, I looked at the cover and thought there was going to be a ton of Middle Eastern influence in the album. It was going to be very obvious, but that doesn't end up happening. And so it was almost a little disappointing for me on first listen. Then on second listen, when I knew what I was getting into, I was able to accept it for what it was, which is for me just a very solid melodic black metal album with maybe a little bit of Middle Eastern flourish in the intros and outros and interlude. And occasionally some of the guitar lines sound like they could have been played on a sitar. But for the most part, for me, this is just a really solid melodic black metal album. So if you like immediate black metal, if you like catchy black metal, if you like stuff you can really bang your head to, I would definitely recommend this. It is, I would say, a th- little bit on the thrashier side, like you mentioned. So that completes our main segment. Now for one of the questions we're thinking about is to whether or not death metal is a more limited genre than black metal. Because we talk a lot about how black metal is blended with a lot of different genres, and that doesn't necessarily seem to hold true with death metal. And the question that we're thinking about is uh, whether or not if that's objectively true or not. Yeah, I can't think of as many... I mean, I can think of as many death metal uh, albums that have influences that are more mixed. I mean, I can think of a a few that have folk influences. Like, there is one, uh, at least one death metal band that I can think of that blends Middle Eastern elements, which is Archon from France, but they're only okay. <laughs> And there's probably something to that. Maybe part of it is the fact that, granted it's on a relative scale, but death metal seems to be more commercially successful than black metal and more mainstream than black metal, again, relatively speaking. But there seems to be more big-budget death metal bands that get major label push behind them and go on these big, gigantic tours than you necessarily see in death metal, which has always been, at its core, misanthropic, not interested in making a lot of money. So I think, at least in the abstract, that could give black metal bands more creative freedom because they aren't necessarily concerned about what's going to sell, what are people going to really like listening to, so they don't have to conform to a mold that they know is going to make them money. And with death metal bands, you might have more pressure to do that. Well, you know, if the genre itself is more accepting or able to be blended with other stuff more, because I mean, like... I've heard stuff like jazzy black metal, you know, even. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've heard tech death bands incorporate a lot of that kind of stuff, but I don't know if I've ever heard a, t- a band, a death band, put out, you know, straight actual, like, jazz moments in their music. Um, I mean, I'm sure there is one by now, but I think part of the thing is is um, maybe some bias and just sheer lack of exploration because I don't explore death metal that much at all. I really don't engage that genre as regularly as I do black metal. And I don't know if that's because a lot of the... I have to delve even deeper into the death metal scene to find these little random things, but I feel like, you know, there's entire subgenres of black metal dedicated to just the blending of various other elements. You know, like symphonic black metal. 
I know the symphonic death metal is a thing, but it's definitely not as prevalent. You no, know? there's only a couple. I mean, there's not that many at all. And I feel like it's harder to find different death metal. Like, if you go and you look for something that's labeled death metal, you usually find straight-up death metal. If you go and you look for something that's labeled black metal, you often find anything from atmospheric black metal to folk black metal to straight-up black metal to a demo tape from the 90s to, like, harsh bestial black metal to, like, there's a whole wide range, but the death metal range is basically, is it technical? Is it thrashy? Does it it have melodic? (laughs) Yeah, or is it straight up? Yeah. Or slam death. Maybe it's the lack of a really strong central black metal identity that helps push the genre in more experimental directions. Because, you know, if, if it's harder to come up with a definition for just what is straight up black metal than it is to come up with a definition for what is straight up death metal, then that's not necessarily an avenue that bands can pursue as easily. So maybe that's pushing people into more experimental waters. Well, I don't know, because I feel like you can come up with a definition of what is straight up yeah, black I think so metal. Too. Like, that's pretty well defined. Yeah, like clones of some of... There's so many clone bands of some of the early 90s that you're just like, yep, that's more of the same. Yeah, exactly. But that would be what I would define as straight-up black metal. But it almost seems like those clones aren't the black metal bands that really get a lot of attention. Well, no, because they're clones, and they're derivative. (laughs) (laughs) They're derivative. And that's the thing, too, though. A lot of the death metal bands, if you're derivative, you don't necessarily get that much attention. But... I mean, I guess you can get attention if you're really good, but... Uh. Yeah, I mean, like, Eon is pretty derivative, but Eon is really good. Yeah. Some of the Polish stuff that's coming out now, like, it's all super top-notch, but I I don't think it's very genre-breaking. Yeah, I mean... So maybe it's just that in death metal, they don't have to push as many boundaries to stand out. But then it becomes a chicken-and-the-egg yeah. thing where it's yeah. like, did that happen because the genre is less varied or is the genre less varied because of that it's hard to say what makes a death metal band stand out too because they're all sort of doing a similar thing but then some of them do it better than others but how do we quantify better yeah true like what what makes what nomad did on that one album better than and that was really different for death metal too like like, I think it's No Bad's Transmigration is what we're talking about. Yeah. It's a really different album for something we don't really experience a lot in death metal, the way it was, the music was arranged and everything. And it was really cool. And, I don't know, it's something we don't hear a lot, so that was really different. But it was still death metal. It wasn't blended with anything different or anything like that. It was just an interesting arrangement in terms of their music. So, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's not like... I don't know, like, it's not like some like ambient black metal where you blended ambience into black metal and made this different kind of experience altogether with the music. You know, that's not really what happens. Well, I mean, some of that stuff, though, if you blend it in with death metal, it makes the death metal lose its identity. Like, can you have ambient death metal? Because I'm pretty sure you can't. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you could do it successfully either because death metal's played so... I don't know, because black metal, you can play a droning style of yeah. black metal, and that would blend with ambient very well, but a droning style of death metal would just get really boring. And I feel like people it would just call work. it doom metal, too. Yeah. People would give it a different genre name at that point. 
I don't know if you could do it. Like, could you mix something slow into death metal beyond, like, say, uh, Aeon's, that one track on Rise to Dominate that's oh, just, the like... the final track? Yeah, but, I mean, like, I wouldn't even necessarily class that as a super death metal track anyway. It's just... Yeah. It's more of a cl- closing. Cool outro closing. Yeah. <laughs> the new Gorguts album was kind of on the slower side because they incorporated atmospheric sludge metal sounds into their sound, but... I think it was still very much a death metal album, hmm. even though a lot of it is pretty mid-paced. Um, yeah, but mid-paced death metal has been a thing for a long time. I mean, it's what Grave plays. Grave's always played yeah. mid-paced death metal. Yeah, mid-paced works well in death metal. Yeah. But maybe you just have to find different genres to combine with death metal to prevent it from losing its identity. Because I'm sure there are genres you couldn't combine with black metal because the black metal would just lose its identity as black metal if you did. Yeah, I mean, but the only thing I can like, think of half the time is, like, gospel. <laughs> because, nah, like... you could totally have gospel black metal. You Someone's could try. Gonna... It would just sound weird, though. Yeah, but if you're just going Satan, it's still black metal. We already covered <laughs> <Satan>. this. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, bands have done the country black metal thing even to this day. I mean, Gloria Belly plays that, and they're from France, and they play, like, this bluegrass style of black metal it's weird but i don't i mean i don't personally like it very much <laughs> yeah and now they've got Samargol has blended pop music into black metal by playing satanic pop metal i need to hear this it's nice terrible but oh. it, it is what it is <laughs> part of the thing is i think they just wanted to have topless women in their music videos but i mean they, they could have played their standard black metal for that but... don't black metal bands already do that that's what I thought, but apparently, you, know, put them on apparently you get three you can... more if you play satanic pop metal. But wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't baby metal be like pop plus death metal? Well, but this is before baby metal came out. Well, yeah, but if we're talking about what what uh, genres are more or less flexible. Some of their heavier stuff, yeah, I think would qualify as pop plus death metal. Yeah, some of the moments. But they're not like that's like not their full genre. Yeah. You know, Samargol is playing full-on satanic pop metal, and you can't think of it as anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but it does demonstrate that it's possible. Yes. Yeah, it's just I wonder if you could pull off a whole album of it. They did. Well, it's I not... mean of death, of death metal. Oh, of death pop metal? Yeah, death pop metal. Could you pull off a full album of death pop metal, have it be death pop metal the entire time, and not just a couple poppy tracks versus some more death I, metal? I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I don't know how many bands are willing to like go after this. I mean, Samargo's a laughing stock in the black metal community nowadays, of well, course. True. <laughs> burn your reputation to the ground to try this. Yeah. Well, technically, Baby Metal has another album to be released this year, so we can see if they've <laughs> yeah. if they've taken that it's not like they can burn their reputation to the ground <laughs> no that's kind of what japan's designed to do is take anything and put it in a blender <laughs> <laughs> put cute girls making cute high school girls doing it and yeah. then it's a pop band like the end i mean they do have a pretty loyal following for what they do so yeah they could burn their reputation to the ground if it's just a disappointing follow-up true eh, it's possible <laughs> But I'm just trying to think of like any other like genres that like haven't flat out blended well, and I mean, heck, I mean, Mutilation covered um, a Frank Sinatra song to that point, so and they made it total black metal. So, oh, <laughs> speaking of covers, though, there was a death metal cover song. Oh, Kevorkian's <laughs> Baby One More Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it and was they did a great. they did they did a good job on that. I thought Kevorkian so was pretty good. awesome. 
That was one. It's on my MP3 player, and it will never leave my MP3 player. <laughs> I love it so much. But it doesn't sound poppy. That's no. like the thing. Is it just? It sounds like death metal that happens to be that song. And like, there's a certain part where you can totally hear the pop part. But I guess if you don't know the song, you wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily hear it as pop necessarily when you first hear the song. So yeah, it really wouldn't register. So it's not really pop death. <laughs> no, it's just death metal covering a pop song and yeah. making a pop song into death metal. Yeah. So. I don't know. I'm trying to think, like, what, else, what other things does black metal manage to pull off that death metal can't pull off? I mean, slowness is one thing. Well, I mean, there's, like, gothic black metal, and I think there's some gothic death metal bands, and I, I shouldn't say anything because I don't like either of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, unnecessary. The gothic genre is not something I could ever really get into. I know some people really get into it, but it just never did anything for me at all. Well, one of the... well, is there such a thing as cyber black metal? It's just industrial. Dead... I mean, I can't think of specific band names because it's not something I gravitate to, but it's the kind of stuff where it has a lot more synth elements and it's a lot more blippy and bloopy than the kind of stuff you might necessarily call industrial. So sure, industrial black metal is a thing, but do you think that kind of very synth-heavy, blippy-bloopy style has ever been combined with black metal? Uh, well, I'm not really sure which death metal you're talking about. So and oceans, that's... and oceans. Oh yeah, you've already got the you've already got the counter. <laughs> Sorry. Just listen to the song. Intelligence is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they play melodic wow. black metal, but I mean, it's still kind of in that realm. Mm. that's true i guess that's just how you take the melodic because a lot of the symphonic and melodic does have synth heavy stuff yeah um it yeah and um weren't there a couple bands that were they were doing the thing where they wanted to add folk elements but they didn't have folk folk instruments so instead they used synths not like dungeon synth but like Oh, you know, not like Mortise. <laughs> no, not like Dungeon Sith, but like they use a lot of synths to take the place of potentially other like melodic influences. Like I don't know if that could get towards the bloopy bloopy style, but oh yeah, I, I think I know what you're saying. I forget. I'm not drawing anything offhand as to like who did that, but that yeah, that was a thing when bands were a lot more limited and all they had was the keyboards. Yeah. I know there's some keyboard heavy black metal. It's just I don't know if the keyboard the keyboard styles are comparable, so you can say that this is objectively. Oh wait, are you? Do you mean more of the stuff that's going towards the gent side of? of I mean, gent metal? has a lot of cyber influence, yeah. Yeah, but like some people don't really consider that death metal. So it's just like you know, I think one of the problems too is that I feel like when that's it. I don't think you can combine gent with black metal very effectively. I think gent oh, black metal would would be problematic. That would be horrific. It would Ooh. sound terrible. <laughs> it's like know. when they have black metal bands that try to do like black core when they, oh no, when they blend in that like hardcore breakdown, it just never fits. It never you can never blend it into a black metal. I still want to hear someone try. So <laughs> if anyone out there is thinking of combining gent and black metal, I want to hear it. Because that could that could that could be amazing, but also a train wreck. And I want to find out which. <laughs> In my um, mind, it would be a train wreck. An absolute train wreck. I don't know. Could be pretty great. <laughs> but my curiosity would be strictly morbid. <laughs> I have a lot, of com- a lot of curiosity. With their 37 string guitars and all the <laughs> nonsense they do. Yep. All the chugging. All the chugging. 
chugging and there's like not enough chugging in black metal to actually have that be effective <laughs> you could make it tremolo pick chugging right not okay, really. when we finish this, I want to see. I want to see if you can do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I'm curious. <laughs> All right. Um, regardless, my original thought was that I feel like when an element gets um a, gets mixed into death metal effectively, it ends up splitting into its own genre. So. When you when we talk about some of the like bloopy bloopy stuff or whatever, I feel like that stuff has already been sort of sectioned off. So people aren't even considering it death metal anymore. They're considering it like progressive or gent or whatever, and, or like you know that kind of thing. Mm. And then also, um, what was the like all of the different types of core have already been completely sectioned off, and grind like grindcore could. Like you know, yeah, like because because gr- grind grind death is a whole is this whole yeah. other blend of death metal and grindcore, but grindcore is not really re- in the death metal realm either, which yeah. is weird. Which is is sort of weird when you think about the genre classifications as they are. And like, why why is this this and not that? It's like yeah, once it gets to be too too corey, it's just not me- not death metal anymore. So yeah. it, it's just like eliminated. So that makes me wonder if it's a case of, is it a case of we can't mix these influences in because they don't work? Or whenever they do get mixed in, they get removed from the genre. So it's a, sort of a false positive that there isn't as much diversity in death metal. Yeah, it could be. The question is, why, why is that? Why is death metal more puritanical than black metal? Which makes no sense. Right. <laughs> you think the black metals would be the elitists. <laughs> Well, assuming that. Well, that I mean that there is, is the well, well there is the, so, the, the, black the slogan metal, "Black metal is to, is intolerance." Intolerance. <laughs> and the black metal ones are the aggressively elitist. The death metal are like, oh, that's nice. We're just gonna put you to the side now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's like a well-meaning push-up. Like, oh, that's a good thing you're doing here. Let's give you your own name. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like folk metal, for example, like things like Fintroll and Corpoclani and all of that stuff. Plenty of them have death metal influences, but no one considers them death metal. Whereas they with, sound more like black metal. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but like there's, a, there's other ones like that. Yeah. But they don't consider it folk black metal either. Yeah, they used to. Well, some of it, yeah, but it's oh, still like, like all of it. <laughs> there's a big circle that's well, yeah, but there's still folk black metal still exists, and then there's folk metal that's its own thing. I think that's changing. Changing now? Yeah, I think that's Am being. I, I think that's being I'm shifted outdated. around. Sorry for being outdated. Like, <laughs> I think a lot of people are classifying that as um, putting it under the branch of folk metal now, and folk metal is to, so like, or, pa- people... or pagan metal or whatever the heck they're well, doing. Well, I know pagan metal is becoming a new thing. But and they I mean, keep switching like around, for example, which is yeah. I thought that still had the folk black metal tag instead of folk metal, but it's way folkier than. I don't know. I mean, I just know that. People are trying to figure out what the hell to do about the whole Viking metal problem from the early 90s. Ugh. <laughs> we still haven't solved that problem. We can't it's even move still, on to folk metal. Viking, Viking metal is still an option on the Discog genre list. Oh. And it's very specific as to when you're allowed to use that. What is their definition? You have to be from Norway and play folk metal blended with black metal. That's really specific. <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of bands out there. Because that's what it was. Well, it was folk blended with black metal. I mean, if you listen to all the earlier, like, Enslaved, Iron Hair, all those bands, that's what it was. 
and now other bands from other regions are playing basically that mm-hmm. idea. Like that's what Fintroll does. Fintroll yeah. is black metal blended with folk. Well, there's there's a lot of uh, bands out there that are not from Norway that use Viking themes that will be very sad to hear they're not Viking metal. I know, they don't get to be too bad for them. <laughs> Sorry, I guess you were born in the wrong yeah. country. <laughs> Which is hilarious because all the Amon Amoth fans get, fans get pissed about it because Amon Amoth gets slotted as melodic death metal strictly and they never get to be Viking metal at all. Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's exactly the band I was yeah. thinking of, actually. Because everyone's yeah. like, Amon Amarth is the best Viking metal. It's like, well, I guess according <laughs> to that definition, they are not Viking metal. No, it's not, because they, they don't play black metal, and they don't play folk blended in, really. <laughs> no. no, they don't mix that much folk in. They're pretty no. straight-up melodic, uh, melodic death. Yeah. Um, but then you have bands like Svost, Drut, uh, Nocturnal Mortem, and stuff like that, that are playing black metal, Clearly blended with folk from their elite region. Mm-hmm. What do we call these bands? Are they folk metal? Are they pagan metal? How do you want to call the blend of black metal being portrayed? <laughs> or is folk metal a, a catch-all for bands like even like power metal and folk? Because there are bands yeah. that do that. Yeah, any band with any folk in it is now folk metal, regardless of the core metal genre. Yeah. <laughs> either way, either way. I don't know. I think the black metal bands are going after pagan metal, though. That's what it seems to be a lot of the bands are going after. The black metal guys are going after being called pagan metal to be discussed as black blended with folk. Which makes sense. Yeah. There just there isn't much of a death metal comparison for that, though. No, there really isn't. And Because I, I feel like with something like something like Amarni Marth, they suddenly get put into the melodic black metal. Like death metal. Or, uh, I, can't, I can't even think anymore. Sorry, guys. Too many okay. practice tests. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they get put right into the melodic death metal, and I feel like that happens a lot when they try to mix anything that isn't straight-up death metal. It's suddenly, oh, yep, that's a melodic death metal band. Yeah, I agree. So that's the question, then. Is death metal truly less diverse, or does it have... a more strict method of classification or rather even a less strict method of classification so you have catch-all <laughs> terms that w- should be more diverse than they are that's the question i think it's slow for debate and i think mm. i'm i don't think i'm coming from a position that research is death metal enough to know yeah any any um additional insights <laughs> can be directed towards our facebook or twitter <laughs> very curious if anybody has more insights than we do That's all for today. For a while, we'll be going on a bi-weekly schedule, so in two weeks, we'll be doing Napalm Death's Apex Predator. You can join in the discussion on our Culture Shock Facebook or Twitter, find your host through the links on our SoundCloud, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star review if you like us. Thanks for listening. See you next time.